Hello. Hello and welcome to Legendary, our first ever listener episode, and we're so excited. Whoa, whoa. So, for those of you who don't know, a couple of weeks ago, was it a couple of weeks ago? Mm, two weeks ago. Yeah. We reached 100 downloads on our podcast, and we were super excited about it, and we invited people to send in their listener stories, either as a voice note or as a written story for us to read out, and we were really happy to get a lot of feedback. Yeah. Yeah, we um, we got a bunch of stories, lots of different things, and uh, we haven't read all of them or listened to all of them because we wanted to react in real time, so mm. we're, we're excited to go through it now. But before we get on to that, I just wanted to say that since then, we've actually gone up to more than 300 downloads. Yeah. And uh, we've gotten listeners from, I think, seven different countries? Mm. No, eight different countries. Oh, cool. Yeah. So uh, we wanted to give a personal thank you to each country as we butcher their native language. <laughs> right. We apologize right now. Yeah, this is going to sound terrible, but hopefully, you know, it's the... Um, Except for the English. It's the sentiment that counts. Yeah. I true, think. True. So, to Ireland, we want to say, Gorev Matagut. Nice. That was pretty good. And then um, to our Swedish listeners, we want to say, Tak. Uh, merci, Canada. Thank you, UK. Thanks, US. Uh, danke, Germany. Cheers, Australia. And Giabonga, South Africa. Thanks so much to everybody, and please keep listening and downloading, and subscribe. If you like it, please subscribe. It really helps us. Mm. Um, and uh, we also, also, yeah, we also really appreciate a good rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, so uh, shall we get into the episode? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Our first one is actually from our father. <laughs> so we have a really, really supportive family. I mean, we should say right now that our first subscribers were basically our immediate family yeah. and extended family. And when we said we were going to do a listener episode, they were all too eager to uh, <laughs> send in their stories. We got about five from each of them. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've selected like one each from, from each of the family members and we're going to put them in here as well. So you get a little bit of a peek into our uh, background. And the insanity behind us. <laughs> yeah, now you know where it, come, where it came from. <laughs> okay, so the first one is from our dad. Subject title, Piss Skruk. Nice. So um, in Afrikaans, Skruk means sort of um, scared or frightened. So this literally means piss frightened. <laughs> okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I must have been nine years old, as I had to take care of my two younger brothers, aged seven and five, when we went to the bioscope. In our town, King Williamstown, to give it the full name, back in 1965, the bioscopes, or movie houses, were pretty lax as long as you could pay the ticket price, which was 20 cents a head. Sure. I didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, we could pretty much watch anything, whether it was for over 13-year-olds or 21-year-olds. <laughs> And most of the times, we didn't know what was on until we got to the movies. Well, that night, it was Peter Cushing or Boris Karloff or Christopher Lee in, you guessed it, a black-and-white, non-technicolor horror movie, which had an age restriction. Horror movies in those days really meant horror movies. That is, vampires or werewolves or the mummy, but with all the tension and suspense and scary music that left your nerves more tightly strung than a shorty guitar string <laughs> that was still trying to be functional. We watched the movie with three eyes. We were three, remember? And as soon as Finnis appeared on the screen, we exited, holding hands. 
Oh. It would have been about 10.30 or so, and we had to walk home. And in that thorpe, most folks went to bed at 8.30. That meant sheer silence coming to the top of Alexandra Road and going down Lower Mount Street, which meant having to pass under giant oak trees in a street without lights. We still held hands, but were also holding onto full bladders. <laughs> Eventually, the brother just younger than me, the in-between guy, said he had to go. <laughs> it was too dark for anyone to see us, so I said it wouldn't be against the law if nobody caught us. It would just be against the fence. Wow, nice. That's so typical, Dad. Mm. I think I was in midstream. Oh, great. Thanks, Dad. When my youngest brother started pointing towards the fence, the in-between brother started to make strange noises in his throat as he also pointed to the fence. <laughs> I looked, and then we started to run. Uh -oh. We probably broke the land speed record for non-mechanical vehicles, and our feet probably arrived home before we got there with the expression, with a wet sail, earning its full meaning that oh, night. Man. What we saw on the fence was that our pee had formed the most vivid picture <laughs> of the mummy you would ever have seen, whether you use Technicolor and Cinemascope together produced by 20th Century Fox. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so all the, the pee collectively? Uh, I think <laughs> the three streams. <laughs> I think it was the youngest brother. No, no, the the in between brother. Lovely. And then the youngest brother noticed the shape of the pea on the fence. But uh, disgusting and terrifying. In nineteen sixty five, our dad would have been um what eleven years old. Mm. So <laughs> they were eleven, nine, and seven. That's both adorable and hilarious. Yeah, typical kids. Well, I hope that taught them not to pee in public places. Right? <laughs> Although somehow I doubt it. Ah, <laughs> uh, the 60s. <laughs> okay, awesome. So um, next up, we have a recording by Joshua Gillingham. Mm -hmm. And uh, quite excited to hear this. Yeah. Hi, my name is Joshua Gillingham. I am a Canadian author and big fan of the Legendary Podcast. And today I would like to submit a story, a legend, for the listener episode. The legend I'm going to share today is a family legend, and I love family legends because they always start being about real people. But as that story gets told again and again around the dinner table or on long road trips, every detail starts to get stretched just a little bit. And these figures, especially after they pass away, start to fade into memory but ascend to myth, legendary status as we remember the stories about them, which really, ultimately, if they're family legends, are stories about ourselves. Now, if I had to choose a side of my family that I would consider to be legendary, no doubt it would have to be the Gillinghams. This is in part because the Gillinghams come from Newfoundland. Newfoundland is the easternmost province of Canada, and it is an island off of Canada's mainland's east coast. It is known for its colorful history, especially with the Europeans who came to settle it from Scotland, Ireland, and England, most notably the Irish Catholics and the English Protestants, which did not get along. Of course, the story I'm going to share today involves a character from both sides of that fence. Now, my great-grandfather was in the World Wars, and there are stories about him in the Navy. For example, it is said that he got sunk three times and survived all three. Once by clinging to a barrel for three days in a frigid Atlantic Sea, Another time in warmer waters by clinging to his comrades in a circle where he noticed that one of his comrades fell asleep, except that when he tried to wake him up, he realized his comrade was not asleep, but that a shark had eaten him from the waist down. However, even my great-grandfather is not the most colorful character from the Gillingham side. It's my great-great-grandfather. He is both famous and infamous in our family legends, as you'll soon see. 
His story begins as a young man where he got involved with the Irish mob. This, in turn, got him in trouble with the British crown, and to escape the gallows, he decided to sneak away to the New World. In fact, some of my family members even think that the name Gillingham is an alias that he used when he left from the port of Gillingham, or Gillingham as they say in the UK, which is a small town on the English coast. When he got to Newfoundland, it didn't take him long to get in trouble because one of his favorite activities was insurance fraud. He liked to rent cars and crash them, then collect the insurance money. He also took up rum running, which took him all the way down the coast as far as Florida. One of my favorite stories about him is how he met his wife. See, the town he was living in at the time, Cornerbrook, was divided in two. Half was the Irish Catholic side, typically poor and working class, and the other half was the English Protestant side, typically quite well-to-do. She was from the English side, and he was from the Irish side. So, how did they come to be married? Well, it all started with a card game, late one Saturday night, in which he was playing with a few of his notorious friends, which went well into the morning on Sunday. Now, he suspected that another player at the table had cheated him, and so proceeded to draw out his pistol and shoot at him at the table. Now, his opponent was very quick-reflexed and jumped up and dashed out the door. And so, my great-great-grandfather chased him out the door and down the street. Now, it was Sunday morning, which means that both Catholics and Protestants were on their way to church. Those that went to church, unlike my great-great-grandfather, that is. Anyways, as he chased the cheating card player down the street, he continued to fire his pistol, even though there were crowds of people there. As you might have guessed, somebody got hit. It was a young Protestant woman, and thankfully, the bullet only grazed her head. Well, she was taken to hospital and no, had no serious injuries beyond a few stitches. However, as you can understand, her family was furious. Now, of course, this was a different time, and the settlement that the Protestant family and the Catholic family came to, seeing as the young woman was over 20 and still unmarried, is that my grandfather, to make amends, would have to marry her. And he did. Needless to say, it was a different time. Thanks to Rochalia and Vashira for hosting the legendary podcast. Looking forward to future episodes and other listener stories. Goodbye. Okay. Whoa. Wow, that was amazing. That had everything. That Yeah, like, everything I could have ever wanted. Seriously, what more do you need in a family history story? Right? I'm like from like, getting eaten from the waist down yeah, by a shark. his great-grandfather's colleague. To shooting your future wife. Yeah. That was amazing. As as we were listening to the part where it said that his great-great-grandfather shot a woman in the head, I was like, oh my god, it's his, it's it's his, his wife, wife, isn't it? <laughs> this is his great-great-grandmother. You know, nothing like, says romance than a bullet in the body. Grazing your head, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, can you imagine like how she must have felt? I mean, if I'm just putting myself in her shoes. I would have been terrified. I mean, like, this man was chasing another guy down a street with a pistol on a church day <laughs> because he cheated him in cards and then he shot me and now we're getting married? I don't know, maybe she's into it. <laughs> she's like, oof, adventure. <laughs> He's a dangerous fellow. That was an amazing bunch of stories. Yeah, Yo. that was really fabulous. Thanks so much, Josh. That was... I need to hear more wow. of those stories. Yeah, your, your family sounds... Uh, dynamic. Yeah, you need to write like a whole book of family legends. <laughs> and uh, by the way, for our listeners, if you don't already know, Joshua Gillingham's debut novel, The Gate Watch, is out on shelves and online right now, so definitely scoop up your copy as soon as possible. If his family stories are any indication, his writing must be fabulous. <laughs> yeah.
Okay, so uh, what do we have now? A, uh, a story I'm going to read out. So this story was sent in actually by my friend Nadia, which I, who I feel like I've mentioned maybe a few times. Maybe not by name, I don't remember. Um, and she, so the title that she's put in is Spooky Story Subscriber Submission, and she's daring us to try saying that three times fast. Spooky Story, what? Spooky Story. Already failed. <laughs> spooky Story Subscriber Submission. Spooky Story su- Subscriber. Yeah, fuck no, it. she's right. Yeah. Fuck, fuck off, Nadia. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Okay, so she says, Hello, lovely ladies at Legendary. Before I begin, congrats on creating a wonderful podcast. I've loved every episode so far, and I'm really learning a lot of obscure, fantastic knowledge. Keep it up, ladies. Oh, thank, thank you. you, my dear friend. Okay, so here's her submission. Uh, so she says, Not much of a fully fleshed out story per se, but the majority of spooky instances that occurred in my life revolved around my grandmother. My family is superstitious and very religious, and according to my aunt, my gran was born with a veil over her head. As you might know, in Indian superstition, this means that she supposedly had some sort of supernatural or psychic abilities. On top of this, she was gifted with a Kali trance. Again, as you may know, Kali is the goddess of the underworld in Hindu mythology, and is genuinely one of the most terrifying trances to witness, especially as a trance demands a blood sacrifice. And can I just say, sorry to interrupt you, mm-hmm. but also, um, if you, if you don't know, Kali is depicted typically holding a severed man's head in one hand and with a necklace of severed thumbs mm. around around her it's neck. It's so. like blood dripping from her mouth, I think. Like yeah, so terrifying. Very attractive. <laughs> Interested to see where this goes. Mm. Ever since I was little, my gran used to freak my cousins and I out by talking to people who weren't there and claiming to see people who weren't there. She would often tell us that the lady is back or that man is back referring to people who were sitting near her or walking nearby. I very clearly remember her telling us one night to come out of the kitchen quickly because there was a strange man standing behind us. Oh, God. One night, when my cousin and I were sleeping next to her, she woke up in the middle of the night to ask us why there were so many ladies dancing around her bed. Another time, I woke next to her to find that she was talking to someone and laughing. Someone I couldn't see. What the fuck? Oh, God. No, 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 no. I don't like it. Burn her. <laughs> Mother, <laughs> I don't care. Just at least like plant some sage or something. Being paradoxically lovers of horror and gigantic wumps, my cousins and I were both terrified and intrigued by my gran's ability. However, my gran was never afraid. She was totally at ease being able to see spirits, partly because she believed she was protected by Kali. She told us that if we ever came face to face with an evil or malevolent spirit, that we should be assertive and start yelling or swearing at the spirit to chase it away. So you Can you imagine this like old Indian grandma being like, "Fuck off, fuck off"? <laughs> Wait, so essentially, you should treat a malevolent spirit the same way you treat a street dog. Yeah, basically, an aggressive street dog. Um, so she said the main thing was not to show fear. She was a pretty badass woman, and even though she scared the living daylights out of her, uh, out of us, <laughs> we all miss her a lot. P.S. My mother was supposedly also born with disability and also had her fair share of paranormal experiences. Unfortunately, I don't remember all the stories she told me, but I do remember her telling me that when her family moved to a new house, oh my god, okay, she ventured near a haunted tree, I think it was a tree, and a day or so later, my grand found a giant handprint seared into her back near her shoulder. What the fuck? The story scarred me for life. P.P.S. So far, I have not inherited any abilities. Yet. (laughs) We have yet to see. (laughs) 
Hope you guys found this interesting and not all disturbing. Promise you'll still be my friends after this. Uh, <laughs> oodles of love. Nadia, your number one fan. And then she gives us this creepy picture where she's like, I am your number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, all good stories end with a meme. Right? That was... What? That fuck? <laughs> wow. A giant hand print. So, I'll be honest. I was willing to think, well, maybe schizophrenia or something. Oh, with Grant? Before this, yeah. But then, when we got to the handprint, I questioned everything. Also, because it seems to run, like, from mother to daughter. But even that can be genetic, right? You I could guess. say, you could make an argument. But, uh, I'm sorry, a handprint <laughs> seared into your shoulder? You can't just make that shit up. Oh, man. I can't wait to, like, see what Nadia, like, what ability she develops. Maybe when she becomes a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it only manifests once the next generation is born. Maybe. Nadia, get on that baby-making thing so we can figure out what abilities you have. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> wow. That was I mean, fun. Holy shit. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I get it's your family and everything, but I still think burn them. <laughs> burn them on That's a pyre. Like, like when they're sleeping, just like a like, whole bunch of sage near their heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turn the salt. <laughs> this is some bullshit, yeah. <laughs> is what I think. <laughs> okay, wow. So, uh, so far, we're really going well on the family history stories. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next up, we have another voice clip. This one from... Stink Demon. Which, well, not from Stink Demon. Well, from Catherine. Well, it was labeled Stink Demon <laughs> when it came from, in. And this is from called Catherine. Yeah, so excited to see what she has in store. What, what's your bets? Another family history or? Um, I expect it's it's family and it involves paranormal activity. Paranormal activity. Okay, let's see if you're right. So this is a story about how my boyfriend's dad was haunted by a stink demon. I know it sounds ridiculous, but when they talk about it, they're completely serious. So at the time, his dad was reading a lot about the occult. He wasn't into the occult, he was actually a traditional Catholic, but he was reading a lot about it at the time. And not long after this, he began to notice that a hideously pungent smell would just appear and disappear in the house. At random times, in random places, this smell would just appear and disappear like a switch. And whilst this was going on, there was this sense of pervading evil laying over the household, and they couldn't find any source for this smell. So, okay, you might be thinking, maybe it's just carbon monoxide poisoning or something. Well, things get really weird, because this smell would follow him around. He'd go to his grand's house, who lived in a completely different house, and who was fastidiously clean, and the smell would just randomly appear and disappear. Now at this point, it's quite scared. He's thinking, crikey, I've summoned this demonic entity who's taken the form of a bad smell. So he performs a minor exorcism rite, and then the smell completely disappears. It has never appeared again since that exorcism. And I find that quite spooky. <laughs> wow, okay, so that was... Something, I, right? The first time I've ever heard of a stink demon. I need to make an apology. Um, I thought <laughs> I honestly thought that Catherine's user name was Stink Demon, and then I realized, right, that's actually <laughs> that's the subject line of the story. No, it's from Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not from the Stink it's Demon. Not Catherine <laughs> underscore Stink Demon. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a cool username. <laughs> But, wow, I mean, I have to say, that's like a very passive-aggressive kind of mm. um, way to haunt someone. It's a, yeah. It's yeah. like, you shall just smell 
so slightly Rotten dirty <laughs> everywhere you go. God, can you imagine just like having constant steamed broccoli smell? Or rotten eggs. Like, just around you all the time. Yeah, that's absolutely nuts. But yeah, I mean, really humorous. Glad that he was able to get rid of it. Yeah. I have to say, I was a little bit skeptical at first. I was like, maybe that was just something dead in the house. But then when he went to another person's house and mm. the smell followed him, and when the exorcism worked, I was like, wait a second now. Did he did he must have done the exorcism himself. Or did you think he got like an official priest? I mean, I assume that it was a um, it was a DIY exorcism. <laughs> As in, like, did he age it in that? And I need answers. Yeah. I need to talk more about this. <laughs> yeah, what, like, you know, did he see any kind of haze around him that indicated yeah. stink? Catherine, <laughs> send us more details. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, absolutely fabulous submission. Mm. Um, one thing I did want to say, which is interesting, is that, isn't it, that demons usually are associated with like a sulfurous smell. Oh, that's true. You think it was that? It was just that smell. Yeah, I'm wondering whether that's actually what that was—that you couldn't see the demon itself, but mm. you could smell, you know, hell. Sulfur. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I wonder which demon it was. Beelzebub. That was Beelzebub. <laughs> or was it Beelzebub? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Anyway, thanks so much, Catherine. And um, hopefully if we have future listener episodes, uh, you can send us um, another story because, yeah, that was fabulous. Yeah, we want more. <laughs> okay, so next one is from our mum, actually. We had one from dad, now we're having one from mum. Yeah. And I think it's also a childhood story. It is. Um, I think mum was a bit older now, so she's called it a big shock. This is how it goes. Uh, sorry, I just want to say mm. sorry for that clicking noise. By the way, that was literally my wrist joint. Yeah, you, you. This podcast has aged you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Started it when you were um, how old? Twenty six. Let's just say I didn't have any gray hairs when we started, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was just yeah, wrinkles, bagged cheeks. I've gone full second term Obama. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, okay. Let's hear the story. <clears throat> okay, a big shock. I was about 16 years old and living in Pietermaritzburg. We lived in a large house that my dad built, but sadly didn't live long enough to enjoy. He died at age 60 when I was just 14 years old. Aside from the main building, we also had a lock-up garage for the car, as well as two rooms and a bathroom attached to it. In these days, a building like this was referred to as an outbuilding. Nowadays, this is referred to as a granny flat. My mum and I lived alone in that huge house, and at the time, it was relatively safe. My dad was an electrical site engineer, so he was often away from home for long periods at a time. Being concerned for our safety, he ensured we had various self-defense gadgets, one of them being what was called a shock stick, a metal rod attached to a rubber handle that was less than a meter long, which when switched on had an electric current flow through it in which it would give you a severe shock. In fact, it could knock you over. I don't remember the actual voltage. So like a 70s version of a taser? Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. Only I feel like it's even... I mean, can a taser knock you It's, it's, it's if a taser and a cattle prod had a baby. <laughs> and it's called the shock stick. <laughs> After my dad died, they were in financial distress. So my mom rented the outbuilding to a newly married couple who were expecting their first child. My brothers and their families lived in Johannesburg and my mom occasionally went to visit them for a week or so at a time. During this time, a relative would sometimes come over to stay. It was on one of these occasions that I discovered I could become very angry when scared. A week after the birth of her baby, the tenant arrived back home. On one of the nights around 8pm, I heard crying and screams from the outbuilding. 
Initially, I thought it was the baby and the new mother trying to cope. Then, I heard her banging on a window and calling for help. Oh shit. When I opened my door, uh, my window, I could see she was crying and shouting out that her husband was beating her. Oh man. In those days, one was not supposed to interfere in issues of domestic violence. Even the police wouldn't get involved. This is the 70s, yeah? Um, when mom was 16. So... Do meh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 70s. Or early 80s. Yeah. But I couldn't just ignore this young woman being abused. So, despite the cautioning of my relative, I grabbed the shock stick and went to the outbuilding. I thumped on the door. She was still calling for help. The baby was screaming and the man swearing. He opened the door when I threatened to call the police. There stood before me a tall man in his underpants, reeking of alcohol. Yuck. He began swearing and told me to mind my own business and to get out from there. I was terrified and my first thought was to leave. The wife cried out that he wanted to sleep with her despite her pains. Ew. The woman has just pushed out your baby. I... Yeah. I mean, he obviously didn't care about the child, considering how he was going. Hey. He turned and slapped her, telling her to shut up. This made me see red. I became angry and swore back. Dude, mom <laughs> swore back at this, like, crazy alcoholic at 16 years old. Age 16. Yep. Then I remembered that I still had the shock stick in my hand. I flipped the switch and held it to his naked body, which unwittingly connected to his crotch. <laughs> the shock he received threw him across the floor he was silenced in a flash it's like you want some downstairs action I'll give you action right? <laughs> what about this feeling any sparks yet <laughs> I told the mother to get her baby and come with me I took her back to the main house and called the police I told them that this man was threatening to attack me and that I was alone at home just so they would respond to the call for help they arrived a little while later and after he swore at them they arrested their husband the mother called her family who arrived a bit later to take her away. In those days, this was a rare case of an incident of domestic abuse where the abuser was taught the lesson. Whoop whoop! Fabulous. Oh my oh, mom. The mom is a superhero. Yeah, you a know. Domestic violence superhero. Can I just say, it's so 70s and 80s for right. <laughs> her, her mom to leave her alone in the house for like an entire week. Can you imagine something like that happening these days? Yeah. Like there's no way you'd, you'd be arrested or something for like negligence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, you definitely wouldn't leave your kid alone when you have tenants that like have just recently moved in. So you don't know them yeah, at all. Yeah, you don't, you don't know them at all. But <laughs> that was so brave. I mean, I think, I don't know. I hope that I would have done the same, but honestly, I don't know. You know, these days, it's the way crime has shot up in South Africa is that when you hear someone screaming, not only have you become desensitized to it, that you're just like, oh, someone's just screaming. But as you say, like, you're afraid yourself to try to go out to help if you're by yourself, like, as a young woman. I mean, sure, if you're, like, with a bunch of people and then you all go, it's different. Yeah. But I think our first instinct is to be scared. But, I mean, one hopes that if the people were actually on your property and you could see that it was pretty much mm. you know an open and shut case of domestic violence yeah. that you know you would try to do whatever you can really i think yeah i think it would be partially instinct as well to like try to go out and see what's going on what can i do yeah but she handled that absolutely I brilliantly know. i have sure. to say reminds me of the uh the vigilante that was in johannesburg um last year Did yeah you about the shadow the shadow, no? Yeah, yeah, but the... <laughs> Tell me. It's vigilante, right? And I think the cops were, like, half half of them were okay with it, half of them didn't like it because of... He went, I think he would kill the... So he would go after the violent um, criminals, so, like, rapists, murderers, and stuff like that, and he would basically kill them. <laughs> okay. And nobody knew what this guy looked like, if it wasn't even a guy, um, but he was called the shadow. So he was, like, Johannesburg Batman? Mm-hmm. The hero we... Uh, 
the hero the that Johannesburg it? needed. Not no. like not the hero no, Johannesburg wants, wanted, yeah. but the hero Johannesburg needs. Yeah. <laughs> well, it turns out our mother was the hero Peter Maritzburg needed. Mom was Peter Maritzburg's shadow. <laughs> that was the sixth Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle book. <laughs> Whatever. Alright, well, we, we're super proud of you, Mom. Super proud to be your daughters as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's nothing more to say about that. Okay, so let's go on to the next story. It is from uh, Aging Gay Millennial, I believe. Yeah, I think, fellow podcaster. I think the title is something like a, a sad story or a heartfelt story. A sad but uplifting story, so I'm really interested to listen to it. Here goes. So I've been friends with this family for a long time, and I mean with all of them. They're the siblings, their mom, their dad, everyone. And I would go on their family vacations with them. And in 2012, their dad nearly died. Um, He had to have a double lung transplant. It was very touch and go for a second there. Um, But he pulled through. So fast forward to 2013, and we are going on our first European cruise. And so we fly from Jacksonville, Florida, um, to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and the night before, he'd been um, dry heaving. He wasn't feeling well, but um, it was otherwise was fine. So we went to Philadelphia, and on the entire plane ride, he was dry heaving. He wasn't well. The Him and his wife decided they would stay behind, and we would all go ahead to Barcelona, Spain. They would meet us the next day. They were going to go to the hospital, get him hydrated, just, you know, verify that everything was fine, get them all checked out. So we end up going to Barcelona and we get there at eight in the morning and, you know, we get the call that actually it's not, things aren't good. You know, we end up canceling the trip. He, he had, uh, he got medically induced into a coma and long story short, he ended up passing away. We were able to get back that following Tuesday to see him before he died, but you know, it wasn't a great, you know, trip, obviously. So we end up driving back to Florida because none of us want to fly because, you know, all his stuff is going to be there, you know, and it's just, that's a lot to take in. So fast forward, um, what, two years? Yeah, two years to 2015, and we take our actual European cruise. We, we do it again, um, pretty similar to the one we were going to take in 2013, but, you know, obviously he's not there. And so wherever we go, you know, we, because he died of pulmonary fibrosis. And so pulmonary fibrosis, the it's represented by a green ribbon. So wherever we would go, we would put, tie a green ribbon around something and, and you know, release a little bit of his ashes, you know, whether it was, you know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa or, you know, um, the Vatican, um, you know, somewhere, whether it be like a little planter or, you know, a little tree here or there, something, you know, appropriate and nice. It's been something that's been kept up. You know, we continue to have his ashes. And anytime we go somewhere, we just went back to Europe last year and, you know, the Eiffel Tower and everything like that. We constantly release a little bit of his ashes and, you know, kind of have a moment of silence. And it's, it was a it was a really traumatizing experience that's turned into a really cathartic, 
means of, of getting past it. And, you know, it's really helped his kids, his wife, you know, me, I, I was super close to him. Um, it's really helped all of us kind of overcome that trauma. And it, it's, it's been an important part of our lives and a very strange experience that's kind of brought us all closer together. Um, that's my interesting story, but uh, a little sad, but, but, uh, hopefully a little bit more uplifting and just, you know, it's so powerful because, you know, he had really wanted to go to Europe. He had really loved cruising, you know, and going to all these destinations. And so it's, it's our way of memorializing him and, and, and making sure that a, a piece of him lives in all of these places. And it's, it's important to us. And, and we like to think to him as well. Yeah, that's, um, that was really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna lie, I kind of feel a little teary. Yeah. Um, That was amazing, amazing story. I think it's so beautiful, the idea of taking his ashes to different places, you know, whether Mm. it be in in Europe or wherever it is, and just, like, spreading a little bit of him everywhere, you know, maybe places he didn't get to see, but there's now a piece of him there. And And they took him on the cruise he wanted to go on. Yeah, you know. I think that's so beautiful. I think it's so meaningful, and I can understand how that's a, a kind of cathartic process for the family, you know, mm-hmm. a way of, of grieving and coming to terms with, with what happened. Um, Yeah, it was just, that was so beautifully told, so it is uplifting in a way. Yeah, and then thank, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I mean, that can't be easy. Yeah, it was such a deeply personal and intimate thing to share, and I think um, just shows incredible bravery. Mm. Yeah, sure. I have to say, I feel very emotional, fragile right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. weird moving on from that, mm. but um, yeah, just thank you so much for for submitting that, and of course, our thoughts are with you and with the family, and yeah, stay strong and and uh, keep going. Okay, so what do we have up next? Yes, we have another written submission. Yeah. This one is from Chase uh, from... I think the official title is uh, Fact or Fiction, um, but they're also known as Ridiculous Patroness. Yeah, so Chase and his friend Josh run a podcast yeah. called Fact or Fiction Podcast. You should definitely go check it out after you listen to this episode. And... Um, <sighs> truck. Close truck. Can you not... Sorry about that. And so this is um, Chase's story. In 2013, I traveled to Savannah, Georgia. I think GA is Georgia. I'm not a good person to ask about that. (laughs) I'm like... "Mm." Okay, well, sorry if you're not Georgia. Could (laughs) be Okay, let me start again. In 2013, I traveled to Savannah, possibly Georgia, to celebrate (laughs) a best friend's birthday. Savannah has been reported as one of the most haunted cities in the United States. Oh, yeah. There's a CVS pharmacy located near Savannah College of Art Design across from a Starbucks on 119 Bull Street that is reported for paranormal reports. My friend Shannon and I stopped by the store to grab a few things, and it felt very odd. It wasn't cold. The appearance seemed normal, but sometimes things can just seem a bit off. Mm -hmm. I'm a big skeptic, but this experience still makes me ask myself questions. Inside was a bit claustrophobic, and I had somewhat of a nauseous feeling, which is even stranger because I'll ride any roller coaster that's been made. Why Shannon purchased a few uh oh, sorry, while Shannon purchased a few necessities, I looked for the restroom. 
Couldn't find it, so I asked a nice young African-American lady at the front cashier's line. After asking, she stared at me for a minute. Just shrugged. Sure, let me ask someone real quick. A few minutes later, an older lady, Vicky, stepped out from the other end of the counter. I can take you down there, but it's rarely easier if you use the one at the Starbucks across the street. What is happening? Is it a haunted bathroom? <laughs> Taken aback, I was silent. Oh my god. <laughs> Why, uh, okay. <laughs> Shannon told me a rumor earlier that day. The rumor was apparently the bathroom was downstairs on the bottom floor of the CVS, and it used to be an old jail cell in the 1800s. What? <laughs> Being way too curious, and uh, no cares given at this point, I asked in front of the line, Why, is it haunted or something? She stared and asked me to follow her into a corner. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I felt bad, actually. Vicky was the nicest, sweetest lady I had ever met. I didn't mean to embarrass her. This is just why it's an unwritten rule to think before you speak. <laughs> <laughs> Vicky said, an exact quote, I don't see things very often, but yes, it's haunted. Oh my goodness. Savannah was established February 12th, 1733. It is one of the oldest cities in the United States. It was built on top of tunnels that pirates would use to smuggle in items to the city. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pirates? Right? This How is cool. so epic. <laughs> pirates also used the tunnels to kidnap citizens, what? smuggle them out of the city unnoticed, and force them to be part of their crew. Whoa! In 1876, yellow fever broke out in Savannah, so many people died during the pandemic, and they ran out of grave sites. They would put bodies in the tunnels to decay. Ew. That is why, if you go to Savannah today, many claims to find bones in the dirt on a regular basis. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. During this time, the CVS was a jail for people in the town, <laughs> and it was built on top of tunnels. A couple years before we visited the CBS, it had a lot of electric problems. Mm. The, electrici the uh, electricity was rooted on the bottom floor where the tunnels were located. Vicky told me many experiences they had during this time. An employee quit during the middle of her shift because she went to the bathroom and claimed to have seen a man wrapped in a mask in the hallway. Oh, God. Vicky claimed that they had on camera shopping carts moving on their own at 4 a.m. before the store opened. No, thank you. The manager that reported for work that morning left and wouldn't return until she had another manager supervise her during her shift. Honestly, I can't blame her. <laughs> I would but. do the same. According to Vicky, most of the activity occurred when they were performing electric work in the tunnels. Personally, I am a skeptic, but it's weird. I never feel weird around places, and this lady did not seem like a person that would lie. Bottom line was, I didn't use their bathroom. <laughs> most of the tunnels in Savannah are sealed, however you can still visit them today. CVS is still in operation today. Okay. And then he sent us some photos also of this trip. And um, yeah, you can see a few like um, things That's like from the, the graveyard across the street from the pharmacy. And uh, suspected orbs. Sus yeah, suspected orbs. Probably like the photos. dead spirits or something. Yeah. Ooh, creepy. Nice one, Chase. Jailhouse bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's also creepy. It's like, no, no, you don't want to pee there. You don't want to go. Yeah, it's creepy the idea of a network of tunnels also on, under the city. It reminds me of the Paris catacombs. Yeah. I think America has a lot of those. Yeah. And to think that they were um, pirate smuggling routes. That is so cool. Very, very cool. Ooh, and the idea of shopping carts moving themselves at 4 a.m. Yeah. Mm -mm. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
I mean, like, it's normal now to see people <laughs> wearing masks. So imagine if you go and then you're like, oh, hi, at this guy who's wearing a mask. And then he just sort of stares at you. And so you slowly realize, why does he look like he's decaying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must be you like know? some kind of zombie apparition. At least I can buy two masks. Thank you for that. That was awesome. Yeah, very spooky. <laughs> right. So continuing on our... Um, family tour <laughs> this one comes from our uncle on our father's side here it goes the sky was blue and the sun was at its best in margate kzn my wife my son my daughter and i were shopping in a mall my son was 14 and my daughter nine on returning to the car park the car guard said to me very nice looking m3 my response was uh, no it is a bmw my children in tandem responded Dad, that is the model of a BMW you are driving. Really, Dad. <laughs> Whenever a BMW passed, my kids would say, Look, Dad, there's an M- M3. Then in 1998, I was posted to New York. On our very first outing from the hotel, we did some grocery shopping at a supermarket. At the till, the lady asked me, Paper or plastic, sir? I will pay cash, thanks, was my response. My son, cringing behind me, said, Dad, she wants to know if you want a paper or plastic bag. <laughs> How do kids know these things? My son was 11 years old at the time. <laughs> this was this cute little short That's funny story. Typical, right? <laughs> kids. Also, knowing our cousins, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. <laughs> it's like, come on, Dad. <laughs> Get it together. That would be so embarrassing. I think probably just to um, put that story a bit more in yeah. context, at the time, our uncle was an ambassador. Yeah. A South African um, ambassador. Or diplomat? A uh, diplomat, I think. So he, he was long, he's been to America, specifically New York. I think he was in Argentina. Yeah, so he's been posted to different countries. And uh, I imagine the, the culture shock and adjustment must have been quite uh, challenging <laughs> each it, time. I think that's why he's, he's laughing a bit, because like, how do these, these kids are adjusting much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how kids pick up things much faster. I think... Maybe because they're just learning new information all the time and they kind of are very adaptive at that age because they have to be. Yeah. Whereas adults have like this ingrained sense of how the world works. Yeah. And it's it's hard to change that framework. Mm. Although people are plastic and it's like... <laughs> so, no, but like when you said that, literally yeah. my first thought was are you really? cash or card. Really? Yeah, I, I was like, it's bag. <laughs> no, I didn't because we don't get paper bags in South Africa, like for our groceries. That's not an option that oh, we have. Oh, that's true. Like either you have a reusable cloth bag that you bring to the till. Yeah. Or they offer you plastic. But you know why I think I thought that? Because I've watched so many movies <laughs> where they're like paper plastic. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So you see, like yeah. that would not occur to me <laughs> in real life. I would be like, um, yeah, I'll pay cash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean I must put my groceries in paper? I'm not carrying alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we now have our final submission. Is this a voice clip? Uh, This is a voice clip from Andrew, who is a co-host of Into the Portal podcast. Yes, Into the Portal. I just recently started listening and subscribed to that podcast. It's um, absolutely wonderful. It's also about... Uh, legends and myths strange things and all that sort of thing mm. so would highly recommend and uh, looking forward to his story yeah hey guys how's it going thank you so much for uh letting me uh, come on your show to tell a little story about myself and uh all of this kind of happened 
before I was into researching paranormal things. So yeah, it didn't really kick things off for me, but it was something I could always come back to and sort of ponder on because it was uh, it was really, really strange. Okay, so so this is basically how it went. Um, I mean, first things first, my name's Andrew McKay. I'm the co-host of a show called Into the Portal Podcast, and we cover everything from myths, legends, history, uh, cryptozoology, monsters, and all kinds of strange things. And uh, it's kind of funny that I wasn't doing the show back then when this happened, but anyway. So I'm from a, a town called uh, West Kelowna, British Columbia, and my grandparents live uh, in a small town called uh, Christina Lake, BC, which is just south of us here, a few hours away from Spokane, Washington. And uh, this, this is kind of a two-part story, I guess. Um, this first one started, I, I guess you could call it a UFO sighting. And at the time, I didn't really know how to, how to describe it or what to make of it. But I was about 12 or 13, and I was sitting out uh, on the deck. And basically, my grandparents have a, a cabin right on the water. And it's a really small body of water, Christina Lake. I can't really, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how big it is, but not particularly large. And we were sitting out on the deck. It was late at night. We couldn't sleep. It was me and my cousin, Mike. And it was summertime. It had to have been mid-August. And uh, it was about 12 o'clock, 1230. And uh, we were just sitting out as we usually did. I mean, at late at night, it was really beautiful because it was always clear, not a lot of light pollution. So there's like tons of stars. And you could usually see a couple of shooting stars or even like, you know, a meteor shower once in a while because it was so clear. So we were just kind of hanging out outside and, and seeing what we could see. And across the lake from us, not very far away, because it's a really small body of water, was a sort of uh, medium-sized mountain, I guess. And the first thing we noticed sitting out there that night was that even though there's not a lot of light pollution, and normally you can see the Big Dipper, Little Dipper, Orion's Belt, all these different stars and constellations, it seemed sort of oddly dark. We could see a few stars, but it didn't seem like a cloudy night. It was a clear night. It just, for some reason, there wasn't as many stars out, which just seemed kind of odd. But we didn't really pay any mind to it, and we were just chatting and, and looking out into the lake. And then all of a sudden, we noticed across from us, just kind of peeking up over the tip of the mountain across the lake, couldn't have been more than two or three kilometers away, there was a, a bright light, kind of an orangey-yellow light that started to sort of creep its way over the top of the mountain. And we were staring at it and didn't know what to make of it. I think Mike just nudged me and said, you know, what the hell is that? And we just sort of stared and it slowly got bigger and bigger as it sort of appeared over the top of the mountain. You could see half of it and then two thirds of it. And then all of a sudden it was this full orb sort of hovering over top of the, the mountain peak across from us. And then at first we were like, someone must be, I mean, is that the moon? was the first thought that popped into my head. Just, I mean, moving the way it shouldn't, I guess. Mike didn't say anything. <clears throat> and we sort of realized at this point that we had been staring at this thing without talking to each other for at least, you know, five plus minutes at this point. And it hadn't, been move it hadn't moved at all. It was just sort of hovering there. And it clearly wasn't the moon, we realized at this point. And then it started to come closer to us. And we knew this because it was slowly getting bigger and bigger. And I don't even know how to estimate the size, but at three kilometers or two and a half kilometers, it seemed like about the size of the moon would be. So it was pretty big. And then it started to slowly sort of approach us. And we knew this, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And it was just moving really, really slowly. And again, we realized that like we looked at each other and we hadn't been speaking this entire time. 
And then all of a sudden, in the snap of fingers, it darted down to the south end of the lake. Non-ballistic motion. It just, like a rocket ship, no sound, just shot off down to the south end of the lake. And we knew that it had moved this quickly because it went from the size it was in front of us in the bay, right in front of us, to this tiny little blip down at the south end. And at this point in time, we were both like squeezing the edge of the bench, kind of terrified because we had no idea what was going on. And we weren't into UFOs or didn't even think this at the time. We were just thinking, this is weird. So it's at the south end of the lake, and then it starts to sort of slowly hover its way back up the edge of the left side of the lake back towards us again. And this is kilometers away, but we can tell it's moving back towards us. It's sort of bobbing up and down, almost like a firefly would. And then again, in a split second, after it made its half of its way back, it darted over to the to the uh, right side of the lake. It just sort of was just darting all over the place. And we were trying to rationalize it. Mike's looking at me like, is someone out there with a spotlight, like messing with us? But it couldn't have been that. It all ended. We, we, we watched it for a little longer and it sort of just disappeared over the, the edge of the mountain again. And we told everybody about this the next day. Nobody believed us. We talked about it. We didn't really know what we had saw at all. And then there was something that happened to me a few years later that wasn't the same, but for some reason, I just felt in my heart that it had to be connected some way. So after that first initial sort of weird orb sighting, I guess you could call it, it was a few years later, and we were walking around in the same area, Christina Lake, and... This was actually when I was, uh, this is years later, this is when I was with um, my partner Amber, who's the co-host of the show. Uh, Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. A few years after this first sighting, I guess you'd call it, when I was 12 years old, I had a weird sort of an experience walking through the woods nearby the cabin where I thought I saw a face in the bushes. And I have a habit of seeing faces in everything I see, rocks and trees and bark and stuff. I just always see faces and things. But this one freaked me out. And I remember I was just walking between cabins, like going to a friend's house in the summertime and ran back and told people I'd seen a a glowing face in, in in the trees. And I was still, you know, only 14 or something. And nobody really paid any mind to it. And I sort of forgot about it. No big deal. And then again, years later, I'm now with my partner, Amber, And we're spending time at Christina Lake, where my grandparents still live. And we are walking between the cabin and another uh, small property they had purchased where we could have campfires and stuff just up the road. And uh, it was dark. It was late at night. It was probably 10 o'clock. And no light, no street lights. And we were walking up a very, very small hill just up towards uh, the property where my, my nono now lives. And I froze. We were holding hands, we were walking up, and I froze. Amber asked me, what's wrong? I said, nothing. And we continued walking, and we walked all the way back up the hill and over to the house. Now, I told her after the fact that it actually wasn't nothing. Basically, what I saw walking up the hill with her was the same glowing face sticking out of the bushes, that I had seen a few years earlier. And even though I have absolutely no way of connecting these two events to the original 
orb or UFO sighting that I, I had when I was younger, I just felt for whatever reason that they were connected. Like the first time I felt that way and the second time I felt that way too. Basically what it was, it was just this perfect circular head shaped face, like just a a head sticking out of just this dark, dark set of trees and bushes. I couldn't even really thinking back, make out a mouth or nose or eyes or, or anything really. But I knew instantly that it was a face. It wasn't a light. It wasn't a flashlight. It was a glowing, hairless face sticking out of the bushes. And it just petrified me to my core, to the point where I couldn't say anything to her at all. And it wasn't until we got back into the house that I described what I saw. And she got pretty upset. She wanted me to point it out at the time. And thinking back, I wish I had had, because then we'd have two people that had seen whatever this was. Now, I'm not making any suggestions that there's aliens following me or that I'm potentially an abductee or anything like that, but these were two events that happened to me at Christina Lake, British Columbia, that to me are the most paranormal things that have ever happened in my life. And even though nothing really directly happened to me, it's really stuck with me, especially now researching and doing the show. I don't know what that face was. It wasn't someone messing with us. It wasn't a neighbor in the bushes. It wasn't a flashlight left on. And to this day, I I still don't know what the orb was or if these things were connected. But anyway, that's, uh, that's the story I have for you guys. Maybe you can analyze it a little bit. I'm curious to see what you think. Cheers. Okay, so we've got three theories going on here. Already, okay. already, already. Okay, so first theory, most obvious, the orb contained these people or whatever they were. That that was the faces that Andrew saw. Okay. Okay, but it looked like the same face. So did yeah. it contain people or like or, one or like, alien? Yeah, I don't know, but it, that it, the orb brought these or faces. several identical aliens. And then the second theory is that I, I think that's what you said that the face is actually the orb. Right. But I'm pretty convinced that Andrew, I'm sorry, but I don't think you're from Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I think you came from the orb. Ask your parents. <laughs> you think you came from the orb? I think, and they came back to check on you. <laughs> and they, they're watching over you, your orb parents. <laughs> <laughs> like a kind of Superman thing yeah. where they like sent him off a burning planet. Exactly. And now they're back to reclaim him. Yeah, or just sort of like just to keep an eye on them and, and your duty to the earth is, is to bring us myths and legends. <laughs> okay, that I think that that's what Are I... there myths or legends or are there memories from another alien life? Exactly. <laughs> well, um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really convinced on that one. <laughs> Not sure how Amber will feel about that revelation. I'm sure she'll be fine with it. <laughs> so, it's very funny because um, when he started mentioning the whole thing of a glowing orb appearing from behind the mountain. My first thought also was like, well, I mean, it's the moon. But then I was also also like, so why is it moving? (laughs) And then the idea of it like getting bigger and then receding into the distance. I do wonder whether it kind of shrunk to... Like, like maybe it actually saw that it was being watched mm. and it was a kind of defense mechanism. That's what I thought as well. But then it realized, it, it like was wondering, well, maybe these kids aren't hostile and like it came closer. 
Yeah. And then it it like got scared again. I think away. I think it's significant also that these sightings, um, apart from I think uh, the second one, appeared near the same um, cabin by the lake. Wasn't oh, no, wasn't all three? Oh, the, oh yeah, the three. second one was also there, right? It was all three. It was one person. Yeah, which is. I mean, that's very interesting to me because, you know, if we, it was hypothetically UFO settlers, like, why would they stay in the same region? So that's why... I mean, who I, wouldn't want to stay in British Columbia? Though? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just wondering whether it's not, like, maybe these aliens, if they are aliens, are associated with the cabin? More with the cabin the area with Andrew. than with Andrew himself. Mm. I was also thinking a lot of, like, fairy spirits. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember in Disney's Brave, there yeah. were those, like, I think little blue glowing spirits? Um, yeah, they're, they're traditional Scottish spirits, actually. Uh, what are they called? Will-o'-the-wisps. Will-o'-the-wisps, right, mm. exactly. And that, it reminded me a lot of that. And that would also explain, like, the prevalence in that particular area. Like, maybe it's just, you know, a kind of magical place mm. or something like that. Maybe there was a crack, right? So there's a, you got the normal world and you got the spirit oh, world. Oh, like a crack in reality? And there was a crack and, like, the spirit world sort of seeped in. You know, like, the fabric is really thin at that point. Yeah, and, and my thought is that maybe instead of being an alien... Andrew actually just has a kind of sixth sense where he can sort of see that layer of, of, of the, the spirit world or the fairy world that, that lies atop of the natural world. Mm. Okay, but it would be really cool if we had, like, fairy heritage. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Something. <laughs> well, anyway, that's about as much as we can analyze that. <laughs> so... Um, Hopefully, uh, you know, you're satisfied with that and, and, and you figure out what's going on. We'd definitely love to hear if you see this space at any other time. It'd be interesting to, interesting to see if you encounter it outside of this area, because then it's following you. True. Absolutely yeah. true. Oh, my God. And I have to say, never heard of someone being haunted by Tweedledee and Tweedledee <laughs> before. <laughs> oh, man. That was great, though. Thanks so much for sending that in. So that uh, brings us to the end of our listener episode. And mm. wow, I have to say, completely exceeded expectations in every way. Yeah, the every, stories were brilliant. Yeah, every single person's stories were amazing, from the humorous to the spooky to the uh, heartfelt. Yeah. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, amazing to, to hear from you guys and to hear from people all over the globe. Yeah, no, I just want to say thank you for, for taking the time and putting in the effort of doing this for us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing your stories also with our listeners. And we hope to um, get even more submissions and even more cool stories um, in our next listener episode. Mm. We don't yet know when that will be, but uh, I think this is definitely something we'd like to do again. Yeah, I really, I mean, I had a great, great time. Yeah. This was really cool. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so um, that pretty much wraps it up. Our uh, regular programming resumes on Monday. Yeah, watch out for that. With episode 11. Mm -hmm. And uh, until then, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. Uh, wait, wait, wait. We still want to just tell people to please um, subscribe. All right. <laughs> uh, drop us a review and uh, basically just enjoy life in general. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So, <laughs> as I was saying. Take two. <laughs> Stay safe. Stay sexy. And stay legendary. Bye.